So, uh, good morning. It's good to see you. And uh, let's get to work. I'm sorry for the, for the delay. Better late than ever. So, we're going to dwell here today on a couple of points, maybe three points, if we will have the time to do so. Three points in areas where we left off uh, the last few psukim of what's called Perek Vav, what's called the sixth chapter of Bereshis, Hashem completing the instructions to Nayach about the Teva. The last pasuk is that Nayach actually goes ahead and does it, which, uh, which as we're going to see, what he does is he actually builds the Teva, creates the Teva, um, and, and, and gathers, uh, prepares what he can till, till the following instruction. But what we learned last week a little bit, we learned about all the animals that he brings to him. Take for yourself from every kind of food that is eaten, and you will gather it to yourself. It will be for you and for them to be able to eat. So we t- started to touch on this a little bit, two aspects. And I, I want to sharpen with you today those two aspects, because both of them have... Real significance. The Medrash and Breshis Rabbah says, He brought in with him Devela. What's the uniqueness of Devela? Devela is dried fruit, clumped together dried fruit. And the clumped together dried fruit that he's bringing in here is, uh, is something which is what we would call Shove Lechol Nefesh. This, something which everybody could eat. Now, if you want to look at it a little bit more, we'll, we'll, we'll see Mir Tashem momentarily in the Medrash Tanchuma, because this Medrash Rabbah is a little terse and vague, and Medrash Tanchuma adds a little bit to the understanding. The quality of the Devela was that everybody could eat it. You could eat it, they could eat it, everybody was able to eat it. And you know, Noach could make his life much simpler if... He had a menu item. Instead of trying to figure out what kind of omelet every person in the table wanted with mushrooms, with tomatoes, with onions, you know, you know to drive himself crazy, crazy with multiple orders, as I'm sure some of you may have had the opportunity sometimes, you know, you want to go get something for uh, family members, this one wants this, this one wants that. Wouldn't it be good if everybody could actually eat the same thing? I mean, I think that's probably what, like, what, what, uh, what heaven for parents is like. Everybody would actually want to eat the same thing, and then you could just get one thing, and every and it'll work for everybody. That was the idea of devela. Most of what he brought in was devela. Ravava Barkana Omar, and this is by the way the same person who was quoted before was Ravava Barkana. He brought in specialty foods for every kind of species. He brought in specialty foods. Now the same, it sounds like the same Ravaba Barkano said before that most of what he brought in was, was the veil or what was significantly brought in was the veil, which was one food fits all. Now he speaks about the specialty foods that each animal would like for itself, which of course is a much more complicated life. Rav Levi Omar, Rav Levi said, He brought in all kinds of things. But he brought them in to plant them. He brought in zemeiros uh, vines for natiyos for 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 grape saplings. He brought in ichurim again, again saplings for teinim for figs for for olive trees. There's a way of thinking that this is the way the mafarshei hamedrash understand, and it's very logical that Noah had to bring these things in as part of his salvaging operation. One way to look at it would be that all Noah had to save was the living things, because if they would die, they couldn't reproduce. However, plants that die do reproduce. Right? Their seeds collapse into the ground, disintegrate, and then, and then can create a new, years of cro- a new year of crops. Was that what happened by the Mabu? If you recall... That earlier we learned that uh, when it said, I'm going to destroy them along with the land, that even up to three tfachim, that the machresha, that the yaseh shal machresha, that the peg of the plow blade would enter into the soil, was also washed away in the mabul. Meaning that arguably everything 
everything, including all of the plant life, and all that would have reached into the ground of the soil, into the soil of the plant life, was also destroyed. And if Noah was going to repopulate the earth botanically, agriculturally, he had to salvage those items as well. He had to salvage samplings, samples of everything. Was Mikol Machol Achel just for them to eat? Well, honestly, if you look at the Pasuk, that's what it sounds like. It says, It'll be for you and for them to eat. It sounds like it was to eat. But to eat could be in the short term, and to eat could be in the long term. To eat could be, this will be, you will devour in the Teva. And when you come out of the Teva, you'll dab the napkin on the two corners of your mouth elegantly, and there'll be nothing left except the trash, right? which, 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 uh, which had its own place in the Teva. Alternatively, it'll be forever for you and for them to eat because you're going to save it and then you're going to be able to replant it and then you're going to be able to repopulate the earth agriculturally. That's an alternative and that's what seems to be represented by this latter opinion that we have here of Rabbi Levi, that they had to replant the world. And that's something which is very interesting because... Adam didn't have to, of course. Adam didn't have to do anything with the animals either. The world was just planted for him. Here we have that Noah had to not only repopulate the world with the animals or salvage the animals, but he had to salvage the plants as well. And we'll find such a thing. In the Medrash later, you know, when Noah comes out from the Teva, what does he do? He plants a vineyard. So in the language of the Medrash there, we'll see the Medrash says, you had olives to plant, you had fig trees to plant, why did you start with the vineyard? Right? So that was part of the claim on Noach that he went straight for the sauce. He went straight for the wine. The, 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 uh, the idea that he had to plant may have been real, lasting, expected. Noach would have to redevelop the world. Continues the Medrash. The Medrash then distinguishes between whether you hold like Rav Abba Bar Kahana or whether you hold like Levi. If you hold like Rav Abba Bar Kahana, he said, you have things which are for you and things which are for them. There are the, the figs which are for you and then there are the twigs which are for the elephants. Everybody has their own thing. Whereas Rabbi Levi said, no, you just save that stuff for the future. What they may do with now, what they ate now was the 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 um, the dvela, and the vela for that you are the ikar and they are tefelimlach, you are the main one and they are secondary to you, they it's primarily for you and secondarily for them. In the medrash tanchuma, in our parsha, it says it a little bit more and it will, uh, a little bit more clearly perhaps. Noach was lokech nefoshos in a wise way, that he went and he took care of all these lives. Mahoyamachilan, what did he feed them? Amrabi Akiva Devela Hayukula Naichlin. They all ate Devela. It will be for you and for them to eat, a common food that's shared by all of you. Rabbi Seinu Amrulloi, Elokol Echod Viechod Mikol Minu Min Hechilo Mashalomad. Nope. Noach fed each and every one what they were used to eating before. Hagomel teven, the camel had straw, the chamar had barley. Everything ate what it was used to eating. This was not a boat, this was a cruise ship. Everybody got whatever it was, what they were used to eating before. There's an animal that eats in the first hour of the day, an animal eats in the second, an animal eats in the third. Some eat the first third of the night, some eat at midnight, some eat at dawn. Some are machmer to eat all the time. Our teacher said, You know, Noyach, for those 12 months in the Teva, he didn't sleep day or night. So this is a more famous medrash. The more famous medrash says that Noah fed every animal its own kind of food at any hour that it was accustomed to eating. Noah waited on them. And so for 12 months of the teva, he didn't sleep. 
That's a medrash which is found elsewhere, that by the time by Yishoyer, Ach Noach, all that was left was Noach, but Noach, even Noach was incomplete. He was so sick, so tired, so exhausted from everything that he had gone through from this year of tending to the animals. But he took care of them to the tea. So these are two pshatim, two accounts of what happened in the teva. One account was that Noach just gave them the basics. He gave them something that he could have had as well. Nobody had their ideal food. They had food. They kept alive. That was it. Basic subsistence. This was a survival exercise. It wasn't a cruise ship. And the other one says, no. If Noach was going to be taking care of these things in the Bria, he took care of everything in its exact, precise way, the way it should be, that it should have the ideal. Now this in itself is a fascinating machlokas. Pause and think about it. What was Noach charged to do? Was this survival? Or was he to lovingly care for all of these animals, making sure that they were well taken care of? It's a very different philosophy of what Noach was charged to do, whether you have choice A or choice B. Basically, of course, we would understand Noach's main responsibility is to make sure that the world is not destroyed, that every species within the world is maintained. So therefore, if they can get by with, with this, then just give it to them. You don't have to make yourself crazy to feed them exactly the right food, and certainly not at exactly the right time. Right? Put it in that little dish in front of them. Whenever they wake up, they'll eat it. Right? You know, Noach, um, that's the one account. Practical, 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 practical. Survival mode. But there's another mode. And that other mode is also worthy of consideration. And that is, this is the remnant of the world. This is what's left of the world. Care for it. Take care of it. And you know what else? Here, let's get a little bit more profound. Everybody ready to get just a little bit more profound? I know it's only like 9 o'clock Sunday morning. Let's get a little bit more profound. And that is, that if Noah is saving every species in the world because every species has its own peace and its own value, which it adds to the world. Doesn't it make sense that Noach not only has to preserve them, but he has to preserve them in their uniqueness? And if this animal eats X and this animal eats Y, and that's its normal food, and this animal eats at this time and that animal eats at that time, we understand that that's part of their uniqueness. That's an expression of their uniqueness. And Noach's task was to save the world in all of its uniqueness. So for Noach to then homogenize the world, for Noach to just give every animal the same kind of food at the same time, right? Ring the bell. Dinner's ready, whether it's when you like it or whether when you're not. What's for dinner, Noach? Dried figs. Again? Right? If it's going to be the same thing for every animal, for every creature, every single day then that variety of the world which Noach was tasked to preserve arguably is poorly preserved. So we would have two ways, I would say, of seeing the more elaborate pshat. The more basic pshat is, so to speak, easy. You've got to make sure everything that's in the world survives. Survival means it's got to have gas in the gas tank, it's got to have food, it's got to have nourishment so that it doesn't die. Do that, whatever it takes, is fine. Pragmatics, shot number one. Shot number two, no, 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 no. Feed them beautifully, exactly what they're used to. In that, we have two pshatim. One is that this is Noach. Noach has to tend to the world. He has to care for the world. And caring for the world doesn't mean just letting it survive. He's going to be a nurturer. He's going to be giving it exactly what it wants. More of a din of Noach than a din of the world. That Noach didn't just give them basics for survival. He gave them a cruise. And the second is, no, that part of Noach preserving the uniqueness of every species is treating it as a unique species. And treating it as a unique species is recognizing its menu choices, recognizing what it ideally eats, when it ideally eats it, and continuing that pattern because that's an important pattern if we're trying to preserve the uniqueness of the world. Okay, so that's one thing. And the second thing, which we mentioned nestled into this machlokas, was the opinion of Rabbi Levi, which was, and this is a debate as well, did Noach have to re, uh, 
populate the world agriculturally or only in terms of the animal species that were there in the world. The animal species we know, but did he also salvage all the different kinds of foods so that they would be there for the future for the animals to be able to eat? Did Noah have to replant the world or did Noah just really have to open the door of the teva and let the animals out and then the world would, would grow by itself? That's another significant, significant question which emerges from these lines of the Medrash interpreting this Pasuk. Okay? Lots of big stuff. Okay, I'm not going any further than that on either of these questions, but these are significant matters, significant questions. Let's go one more step on, a, uh, 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 on this, a couple more steps on this thing. Now, last week, I mentioned to you, and really... I shouldn't have recopied here the whole Radak, which I put in last week. It was just a shortcut. Really what we want to look at is the Radak on Pasuk Chafalaf, which was also found to some degree in the Ibn Ezra, the, the same start of the idea. The Radak says, you have to give, since they're coming to you to be kept alive, you have to make sure every kind of food is there for you, for them. The foods were fruits, seeds, greens, Okay, so here we have this other problem. And that problem was that there are animals that are predators. There are animals that are carnivores, right? Birds that are used to eating other living beings. So when Noah brought all kinds of foods, it doesn't sound like he was bringing animals to be eaten by animals. It sounds like he was bringing other things. Otherwise, he would have brought more than two of each, right? He'd bring, okay. Two lamb, not going to be nearly enough. We have to bring 750 lamb. Why? Because the lions each have a lamb for breakfast and a lamb for dinner, right? Right. So I'll get the male lion and the female lion to share a lamb, right? But still, right, we're still going to have 750 of them, right? Because you have 365 days in the year, they're going to be in the teva. That's 730. They have to have something for Thanksgiving, right? So therefore, they're going to, you know, you, you have to, and, and then you have to have a couple left, and you have to have the korbanas. But obviously, they weren't eating lambs. They were eating salad, Right. Right? If you think you get upset, imagine what a lion is life like when they just offer it a salad. Right? So, so, so the, the, but that was the way it was. And writes the Ramban, Says the Radak, this is not the first time, it's not unprecedented. At the beginning of time as well, and we looked at, at it in a little bit of a greater depth last time, the Radak's explanation at the beginning of time, when Hashem created a couple of each, they also weren't eating each other up alive. They also weren't doing that then. So they weren't doing that then, and they're not doing that now. So the predatory nature of the animals was put on hold. Maybe yes, maybe no. Again, they could have been in their cages, you know, stopped from eating the other animals. But in terms of getting by, look, even a predatory animal might have as its ideal food, carnivorous, as a carnivorous animal, it might have as an ideal food that it eats meat, but it could get by on salad if it needs to. That's the way the Radak says it. Now, we mentioned that you could view it as sort of like a temporary suspension. They stop this and then they let them go and do what they wanted to do. But let's try to look at this a little bit more broadly. And we're going to try to look at it a little bit more broadly on two extremes, on two ends. It says, according to Rabbi Yehuda, who says that he rids the world of them, right? what he's bringing here is that there are two opinions in the Tairas Kayanim. What does it mean, Now, I'm sorry I just rushed into this without telling you context. Let's take a step back. The Pasuk in the Brachis of Bichukaisai, at the beginning of Bichukaisai, says that I will get rid of the wild animals from your land and no sword will pass through your terrain. So he says, Rav Yehuda's opinion is, Maviran min ha'ilam, they'll be gone from the world. What does that mean? Hashem's going to get rid of them in the world? Explains the Ramban, Wild animals won't come through Eretz Yisrael. It doesn't mean that they're going to be gone from the world. It's your land. 
And the reason is, When do wild animals come into a, play, a place? When it's empty. Right? They rove around in the barren areas, like the Shadim we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Right? In fact, that's why Chazal Darshan, when it says in, in, in Barachin Avshi, there will, will swarm all of the wild animals of the forest, Chazal say it refers actually also to the Shadim, to the spooks. They go where it's uninhabited. It's not normal for wild animals to walk around in a street. They shy away from where areas are inhabited. Says the Ramban beautifully, if I'm promising you prosperity in Eretz Yisrael, thriving in Eretz Yisrael, developed land in Eretz Yisrael, then the wild animals will go someplace else. They'll go to some other wilderness. Eretz Yisrael is no longer a wilderness. Right? When Hashem will be Menachem Tzio, Nicham Kolchor we read it as the Haftorah, not yesterday, but a week ago, right? Hashem will make even its barren places, even its deserts, as beautiful and as lush and as developed as Gan Eden. So that's why those animals won't be there anymore. But Rabbi Shimon disagrees there in the Tayras Kainim. He says, there'll be lions and tigers and bears. They will be there. But the bad in them will be gone. They won't be bad animals anymore. They won't be destructive animals anymore. There will be the literal fulfillment of that biblical vision that we discussed last week of Yeshayo, of the Gor Ze'evim Keves Vari Im Gedir Bats. V'namir Im Gedir Bats Vari Kebakar Yechal Tevin. Right? The wild animals will live with the simple animals. They'll just be there together and they won't devour each other up. Together they will eat straw. And continues the Ramban, I believe that what Rabbi Shimon says is correct. Continues the Ramban. Because in this image, this idyllic image, of the Jewish people in Eretz Yisrael when they're doing all the mitzvahs and doing things right. That world will be like the world before the sin of Adam Arishah. And no animal would kill a person in that world. And he quotes the Gemara in Brachas that says that the donkey or the wild mule doesn't kill a person, rather sin kills the person. And he quotes those psukim in Yeshaya, where the child plays on the mouth of the snake pit without worry. Animals like snakes, animals like lions, animals like bears, they won't be destructive. He says, the only reason why it became part of the nature of animals to destroy was because man sinned. You remember that Rashi that we learned earlier in Bracious? Where, where Cain was worried because he had killed? And he said, now, anyone who finds me will kill me. Who was anyone? His parents were going to kill him? His brother Hevel was dead already. Who was going to kill him? Says Rashi, was worried about the wild animals. Why was he worried now? What changed? Before I sinned, the animals had respect for me. But now that I descended from my higher, loftier human position to be myself just like one of the animals, now they won't respect me. Now they'll destroy me. So it was all a result of Chet. And continues the Ramban, remarkably, And so when destruction became part of their nature to attack man, so you say, okay, so why does the li- what did the lamb sin? The lamb didn't do anything wrong. I mean, look at it. It's, it's Snow White, right? Kashela Gyalbinu, says the, the Ramban, once aggressiveness and destruction between creatures became part of the nature of the animals, they started eating each other up as well. He says, you know that the nature of things is that an animal that attacks a person completely loses it. And subsequently, right, they would always, it wasn't, you know, there's a halacha in the Torah that an animal that kills a person, 
get stoned, right? Shor haniskal. But it's also practiced in many societies. Why? Because it understood that it broke a certain barrier, and once that barrier is broken, all bets are off. Who knows what it's going to do next? Who knows what it's going to do next? So therefore, the um, therefore it's uh, it's um, it, it, it's part of the change in the world. Vishvati Chayyurav in Aretz. It's part of the change within the world. It's part of the change within the world that. Um, that these things have to be destroyed, that, the, I'm sorry, that this kind of destruction happens, but when we go back to a more idyllic state where man doesn't deserve to be destroyed by animals, man deserves to be above animals, then the animals will be completely tamed, says the Ramban. They won't even be eating each, each other up. And continues the Ramban to expand upon this. Originally, at the end of the first day of creation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu described that all the animals would eat the grasses of the fields. It doesn't say anything about them eating each other. It doesn't acknowledge the carnivorous nature of some of the animals. They're all herbivorous. They're all just eating things which grow from the ground. The Pesach says, That was the nature which was established for them to be their permanent nature. But then again, when sin came into the world and sin brought upon them death, so then they learned a man death, so then people started being destroyed, and then this whole cycle of violence, as we would call it today, began. Then says the Ramban, but what happened? So then they started becoming carnivores. carnivores. But after the Mabel, what happened? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that people are allowed to shecht animals to eat them. And animals are allowed to continue to destroy animals, even though animals are not allowed to destroy people. So suddenly, a line was drawn that animals wouldn't destroy people anymore under normal circumstances. They would be intimidated. However, the animals would still destroy each other. And when Eretz Yisrael would be complete, their negative behavior of destroying each other will stop. They'll go back to the way they were at the time of creation. I alluded to this in Parshas Noyach, which we'll have in Yer Tashem later. Here the Ramban articulates it very, very... Uh, very, very uh, uh, beautifully. So what is he saying? He's saying that animals eating other animals, carnivorous nature, is not original nature. It's part of a destructive cycle which was put into the world. And therefore, we can understand, Ramban is not discussing what happened in the Teva per se, but we can understand that the Teva as well was sort of a throwback to that original perfect world. You can understand it pragmatically, right? How could they survive there? Would Noah have to bring in 750 lambs into the Teva? That's not going to work, right? So therefore, uh, they're going to have to make do with veggies, right? That could be a pragmatic way. But now, what we have in the Ramban is that there's a picture of an ideal world where they don't destroy each other. And maybe that's to some degree what happens here in this world as well. They don't destroy each other. They just tend and take care of each other. Possible? Let's just finish the words of the Ramban. Nice words. That's why the Pasuk says about the Redeemer who will come from that's why that promise of the wolf with the lamb is real. 
because it will bring back the world to the way it was. They were hoping it would be in the days of Chizkiyo, but it ended up being, will be fulfilled by the time of the ultimate Geula, at the end of, at the end of all days. So this is another vision of the food in the Teva. Okay, so we've talked about giving everybody its proper thing, but here, if we're not feeding the animals, if we're not feeding the animals, you know, exactly what would be ideal, which would be their carnivorous foods, so then you'd have a further problem. But here, what we're doing, what we're explaining is, no, that's not such a big problem, that the animals don't get that. There's an idealism there's an idealism to that. Excuse me for one second, please. Okay, so there's an idealism to that, that the animals are not eating each other up, and maybe that's part of the window of time that's happening over here in the Teva as well, that they're living with each other in peace, which is also a positive, a positive aspect of the way the world should be restored here now at this point in time. Okay, so that's, that's another approach that we have. But I want to point out to you yet an additional angle to this, which is very, I think, very, very important and interesting. And that is that in this medrash, it presents a picture of all the creatures eating vegetation. Maybe everybody eating the same thing, Dvela, the dried figs. Maybe each one eating its own thing, but all of them eating vegetation. Now we know that one of the major changes which is going to happen in the world as a result of the Mabul was that Noah was going to be allowed to eat meat. After the Mabul, Noah was going to be allowed to eat meat. In the Teva, he didn't. He certainly wasn't carnivorous. Not only wasn't he in the Teva, but even before, man wasn't even given the right to eat meat. None of that was allowed at any time to anybody. The idea of man and animal sharing food is a complex one. And let's take a look over here at uh, Rashi, at, not Rashi, but at the Psukim in, back in Parshas Bracious. In the end of Parakalif of Bracious, it says as follows, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, conquer it, rule over the fish, rule over the birds, rule over the animals. And after Hashem creates that dynamic, He created everything, right? This is the end of the sixth day of creation. Everything is created, man and beast, but man is put atop everything in the world. But that doesn't entitle them to eat them. It doesn't entitle man to eat them. Even though ultimately we might explain, as I've explained to you before, and as the Ramban, perhaps it's the Ramban in the Igeros HaKodesh, the Balatanya, others explain, why do people eat meat? Why do people have a right to eat animals? Why do you have a right to kill an animal to eat it? It's because you're higher than it in the rungs of the ladder of creation. You're higher on the period of crea- crea- pyramid of creation. But not yet. Listen to what the Pasuk says. Behold, I have granted you all the grasses that produce seeds and all the trees that produce fruit, they're for you to eat. And for all the animals that crawl over the face of the earth, I've given you all of the greens, the grasses to eat. Notice, two things. What do they have in common and what differentiates? What they have in common is they're all herbivores. They're all just eating those kinds of things that grow from the ground. But what differentiates them, what differentiates them? is that on the one hand, the people eat grasses and fruits of the trees. The animals only eat the grasses. That's the distinction between them. And so man is given a higher level because man is able to partake of the fruits. Parenthetically, 
not, I shouldn't say parenthetically, but you might remember we went through this back in Bereshis. When we have the picture of Adam in Gan Eden, what does man eat in Gan Eden? Only fruits. Right? That's all that we have described there. From the fruits of the trees of the garden, you shall eat. Right? It's so left to the fruits of the trees that Chazal even suggests, slash understand, that grain, which was the basic thing, person lives on bread, right? maybe not on bread alone, but they live on bread, um, that the grain was growing on trees, that the bread was growing on trees at that time, because it was that difference of status. But then what happens? Man sins. And what happens when man sins? Peregimel and Bereshis. Hashem says to man, the land will produce for you thorns and thistles, the ochalta es esev hasode, and you will eat the grasses of the field. Uh-oh, what happened to the fruits of the trees? So again, in the original picture of creation, man could eat fruits, man could eat grasses. Animals only eat grasses. Hashem puts man in his ideal place, he's eating only fruits. Now he sinned, and he's eating only grasses? You'll eat grasses? And the Pasuk says, next Pasuk says, by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread. Bread comes from grasses, it comes from grains that grow from the ground, from the field. What's going on? Do you remember what we learned back then? The Gemara that says, when man heard you will eat the grasses of the field, he started crying. Zolgu enov demois. His eyes dripped with tears. He said, what's going to happen? I and my donkey are going to eat from one feed bag? We're going to share the same menu? Ay, ay, ay. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, no, you know what? Man is going to remain distinct in the fact that man thinks. Man can produce and can create and process. And therefore, you'll work and you'll produce bread. You'll do the Lamites Malachas, right? And you'll produce bread, Sidura de Pas. And you'll make it into something and then you'll eat it. The animals won't do that. Right? Even if Polly wants a cracker, sorry, you're going to have to provide them with the cracker. Right? It's going to be all, right? Bread is something which you create, which you have, which, which is going to work in that way for you. So man, Baruch Hashem, right? Niskara Dato, he felt better. He's going to be distinct from the animals in this regard. But now let's think. Let's think. First of all, we have one pshat in the Medrash that says that they all ate the same food. What was that food? It doesn't say that they all ate bread together. It doesn't even say that they all ate wheat together. What does it say? They all ate devela. What's devela? Devela is dried fruit. Hmm. Hmm. What would you do with that? Does that imply that the animals were up a level then? Hmm. Maybe the animals are given a raise. Maybe the animals are up to level. But maybe man would feel bad. He and his donkey are eating out of one, Avus out of one feed bag. But maybe here what he's doing is he's inviting the animals to come and eat from his instead of him being sent to eat with the animals. Better? Does that make you feel any better? It would make me feel better. Hashem isn't condemning him to this. And by the way, you know, Noach, if you want to make your life easier, you can go and Harder, you can give them all, they're all their particular things. But Noach says, you know what? The most easy, practical thing for me is, we'll have this and they'll all join me with it. And they're eating from the fruits of the trees. Isn't that delicious? I, I mean, fruits of the trees are delicious. But what I mean is, that isn't it a fascinating thing in this little idyllic place of the Teva? Whereas we've seen perhaps they've gone back to the ideal world because the animals aren't eating each other up. But yet, what are they subsisting on? The fruits of the trees. Fascinating. To me, at least, I, would, I find that fascinating. Do you find it fascinating? Yeah, 
Is there any idea that like this is the man from man? This is what? The man from man. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know. It's a fair question, but I don't have any makor that I know of, of that. Does this mean that Noah had to prepare all these dried foods before he set sail? Sure. But it's a lot, it's a lot easier to bring, bring big bricks of dvela, of dried fruit, and then every day you know, go at it with a little knife and cut off a piece and you know, just walk up and down the aisles in the teva and just drop off little pieces of it you know, here and there, then saying, oh, I'm sorry, I know you ordered the omelet with mushrooms and fried onions, and i sorry, I mixed you up with the person who ordered it with, uh, with, with, uh, with diced tomatoes. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's simple. And they all get to enjoy with him the fruits of the garden, so to speak. That's part of this idyllic picture. Whereas, whereas, the other picture, the other version, has Noach being beautifully tending for all of the animals. Beautifully tending for all of the animals. Everyone gets exactly what it's supposed to get. Deluxe accommodations. In fact, you know what? Everybody has a great time in the Teva except for one person. And who's that? Noach. Because Noach is busy all day and all night making sure every animal has exactly what it's supposed to have. It's preferred food stuff. Now, it may not have the lamb chops for the lion aren't happening. right? Worms for the birdies aren't happening. But short of that, they're getting what they want when they want it. And that's terrific for them. Noach ends up being... Not a shepherd, but a slave. A slave of the animals. Making sure everybody has what they want. You understand now even further the ramifications of this distinction between whether it's a devela, whether it's a dried fruit that everybody gets a part of, and everybody eats and they'll manage, they'll be just fine, or whether everything got its own, got its own stuff. In the first picture, Noach has it as easy as possible. And it's l'chov elohem l'ochla, by the way, that interpretation is, take care of yourself. And they'll be tofel. What, what's good for you, they'll manage with. Noach's almost not even thinking about them. He has to bring them, he has to include them in the teva. But his main thing is la'atzmai, the main thing is to worry about himself. The other one has an inverse understanding that Noah had to make sure that everyone had the best food that they had, when they have it, and he would spend the year taking care of them. He didn't sleep at all for a whole year. Always making sure that every animal was taken care of in exactly the proper time. And while on the one hand, again, that's a magnificent picture of Noah, the caretaker, the cultivator, the maintainer of the world, on the other hand, he's mamish like a slave to the animals. Right, shepherds, generally speaking, right, shepherds are a low-intensity kind of a job. Right, you take the animals, they're domesticated animals, they follow you nicely and easily. You bring them to the grass, they eat, they munch. You, know, you check them out to make sure that they're okay. Once in a while, you have to carry the lamb to the water or whatever else it is. But you know, there's a reason why shepherds are always pictured you know, playing the flute. Right? You, know, you don't see a lot of accountants playing the flute during tax season. Right? You know, it, it's, it's, uh, and you know, if, if, if Noah was there in the Teva and he packed his flute for the journey, right, the flute which maybe he got from his great-grandfather, Avi Kol Teifes Kinar he wouldn't have much time to play it if he was working day and night. But if he brought in Dvela, he says, I like Dvela, I love dried fruit. Right? He must really love it if he's going to have it all year, right? Three meals a day, right? But he's going to have, he's going to have dried fruit and they'll manage with dried fruit. They'll be fine. It's, it's mamish, a completely different picture of what Noah was doing in the Teva. It's not just an argument about what their menu was. So that's the treasure in a certain sense, which is buried right here within this, within this Midrashic comment. 
But again, remember, let's peel off the layers of the treasure. There's also the issue of of um, of uh, that they're eating fruit. They're back to eating fruit, which is Adam, in a certain sense, being given back his madrega, Noach, being given that right to eat fruit and to subsist on fruit, and the animals are joining him in that menu. That's, uh, that's something. So there's maybe a negative of them all eating together, and Adam is not yet established on top of the Bria. What is going to establish him on top of the Bria? What is going to bring it back? to man being carnivorous and animals eating from one another because it's not going to maintain this way all the time. That's going to be when Noah comes out of the Teva and brings a carbon. Ooh. He's going to bring a carbon. Now there you already have the slaughter of animals. There you have man bringing an animal as a carbon, showing man's spiritual superiority over the animals. Maybe he has superiority because he sustained them and that's the way they survived all these years. Maybe he has superiority, additional superiority, because of this expression of the carbon that he brings. So we're going to have to revisit that a little bit more later. Okay? But here, at this point in the Teva, while man is in Gan Eden, eating fruit, according to some, that... Uh, the, the tiruf isn't there, the destruction isn't there, that's nice. The ability of man to partake of the animals isn't there yet either. And so in a certain sense, they're eating all the same menu is a positive thing, makes life easier for Noach, he's eating fruit, they're eating fruit along with him. On the other hand, the hierarchy in the world, which is sometimes implied by what you're allowed to have, as opposed to what they're allowed to have, what bag you're eating from, what bag they're eating from, that was blurred here a little bit as well because the world was in formation and the hierarchy of the world of man relative to the world was there so also, therefore also to a significant degree considered to be in formation. Yes, he did. And uh, it doesn't say it in the Pasuk. It just says the, the Teva had, had levels. It doesn't say who lived where. In fact, there are the Machlokas in the Medrash. It's a Medrash which, for better or for worse, we didn't cover, or we didn't cover yet, about who lived where. But clearly, man would be given a top birth, B-E-R-T-H. Um, however, however, look, Adam Arishan was also, to some degree, given that. But the fluidity of the situation was still there. The fluidity of the situation was still there. The real resolution of it, the real fixing of who's on top and who's not, that isn't completely defined yet at this point in time. So again, these menu items, what we've tried to spend our time uh, talking about here today, were these different aspects of the, of the, of the menu, of the machlaikas, the different possibilities, which had in it, you know, different perceptions as to what Noah's task was to make the world survive or to tend to the uniqueness of each animal, both as an expression of caring and as a way of maintaining their uniqueness, the uniqueness of each and every species as such. That's, uh, that's part of what we, uh, what, we, what we saw there. And, uh, and uh, then, you know, going, you know, digging a little bit further when we speak about, you know, the species and what they would eat, and then looking at this, looking at it in terms of the beginning of time and what man was allotted and one, what man was allowed to do, so there is, uh, there's, uh, there's much more here and much more for us to see you know, within, this, uh, within this, uh, this debate. Now, I want to just go a little bit further to touch upon something and not yet do it justice, Okay. And it's a little bit of a change of subject. I hope that what we've talked about so far has been helpful. A little bit of a change of subject to something very, very interesting, which you may be aware of. There was Rabbi Yehuda of Rabbi Nechemia. Rabbi Yehuda Aimer, Re'eim lo nichnas imo, avol gurav nichnasu. The Re'eim didn't enter the Teva with them. 
a baby re'em, Gurav, did go into the Teva. What's a re'em? A re'em was a very large animal. In, uh, you know, its technical species name, the technical species name of the re'em is, I think, an oryx. O-R-Y-X or O-R-Y-C-H-S. Um, it's a big animal with horns. You know, we're used to thinking about elephants as the biggest animals in the world. In, in, the, in the parlance of Tanakh and in the parlance of Chazal, the biggest baby out there is the Re'im. Karnei Re'im Karnov. It has the horns of a Re'im. Chazal say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sits and he makes sure that every creature in the world has its thing. Mikarnei Re'imim Abeitzekinim. From the horns of the Re'im, the Re'im was very big, and its, its distinguishing character of its strength were the horns that came from it. To the eggs of lice. Everybody knows how big those are, right? 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 Any, any, any person who had to go through the investigative process of trying to get them out of their child's hair, right, knows. Right? Tiny, 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 so difficult. To sp- they also need to be sustained. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sustains from the smallest to the largest. The largest is the rain. So this medrash is dealing with the following technical problem. And that is, how do you fit a re'em into the teva? Now you and I might say, hey, come on, how big is this thing anyways? And in fact, contemporary re'emim, contemporary oryx, are not so huge. They're big, but they're not as big as an elephant. But in Talmudic parlance, thinking it, they were huge and they couldn't fit in the teva. The best we could do would be to get a baby re'em in the teva and hope it doesn't grow too much. Right? Give it enough dried figs, it won't grow too much right, over the year and it'll be okay. Rav Nechem Yamar Gurav. No, even the little ones wouldn't fit in. Elo beteva. Nayach went to the U-Haul place and he got a little trailer for the behind of it. He tied the thing to the teva. He had a hitch. He tied it to the teva. He says, and you know the furrow that was created by this re'em that was being pulled along by the teva would be as wide as from Tiveria to the city of Susa. And the Gemara brings a Pasuk to speak about this. And then it says, In the days of Rabbi Chia Bar-Abba, one young Re'em went up to Eretz Yisrael, there was not a tree left standing in Eretz Yisrael. It wreaked such damage. It was such a big, damaging creature. And that's a baby one. So Rabbi Chia Davin, they made a fast, he davened. And the mother of this Re'em gave out a wail from the desert where it lives, out in the wilderness. And the baby went back home to its mother. So it's not an elephant. It's way bigger than an elephant. It's big and it's damaging. And it has another name. You know what its other name, other name is? Shoir Habor. The ox of the wild. Who is familiar with the term Shor Habor? I think there's a Chabad person who has a meat packing plant, a meat packing business called Shor Habor. You know why? Because, according to Chazal, when Mashiach comes, we're going to have a nice meal. And what's the meal going to consist of? First of all, the biggest pieces of herring you ever saw in your life, the Leviathan. And what else? What's going to be, come on, not fish. I know, there are going to be some people there and say, can I just have fish? They don't trust the Hashgacha, right? But there's also going to be a meat option. And what's the meat option going to be? Shor Habor. Shor Habor is the same way Leviathan is the whale, right? Is the whale of the fish. The Re'em, the Shor Abor, is the whale of meat. 
And the same way Hashem will shech this threatening being that they can't live amongst humanity. The Leviathan is in the seas. And we can't even have it grow in the seas, let the seas overtake, lest the seas overtake the earth. The Sharabur has to stay in the desert. It's too dangerous. See, this one baby came into Eretz Yisrael, and look what happened. But Noah had to spare it, had to save it. The Leviathan, he didn't have to save. The fish, he didn't have to save. They took care of themselves. But he had to save the Sharabur. So he did. And the way he saved it, what did he do? He couldn't bring it into the Teva, according to the second opinion. So he tied it to the back of the Teva. Unless you think this is just some wild medrash, well, it's also found in an Agatha in the Gemara, in Zvachim. Listen to the Gemara. The Gemara says, in the end of Zvachim, there's a machlekes between Rav Yechlan and Rishlokish, whether the Mabul affected Eretz Yisrael or not. It says, the Gemara says, how did the Re'em survive? Starting with the same premise as the Medrash, which is that a Re'em couldn't fit into the Teva. So he says, look, if there's one place on earth where the Mabel didn't reach, so then we're in good shape. Hashem took the Re'em and he put it in Eretz Yisrael where it could ride out the Mabel. But if you say that the Mabel came into Eretz Yisrael too, so then, how did he, uh, how did the Re'em survive? How did the Re'em, how would the Re'em be able to, uh, to survive? Says the Gemara, uh, says the Gemara, um, Rav Yanai said, like Rav Yehuda said in the Medrash, little baby Re'ems were brought into the Teva, they could fit. Asked the Mara, what I mean, Vama Rava Barbachana, Lididi Chazili Urzila Derima Basiuma, Vavikar Tovar. He says, I saw a baby Re'em, which was one day old, and it was as big as Mount Tabor. So even a baby won't fit in there. Again, much bigger than the ones that we have. The Har Tovar Kamahave, how big was Har Tovar, Abo in Parse? The length of its neck was three parsa. It's a whole elaborate thing in the famous Agodos of Rabba Barbachana in Sasvin and Baba Basra. But the bottom line is what he conveyed was that this critter was huge. So how could he possibly have included as a baby? How could he include it in the Teva? Amrav Yechon, Roisha Hichnisu Teva. He put his head in the teva. So it was able, wasn't underwater, put the head in the teva. But you said the head was huge too. Just the nose. He was able to breathe in the teva with his nose. Says the world, but this is Rav Yechanan. Rav Yechanan holds that it could have been Eretz Yisrael. He's answering according to Rishlokish. Says the Gemara, right, having his nose in the Teva would work if the Teva was stationary. But here he had his nose in the Teva, but the Teva was moving. What do you do? They tied its horns to the Teva and had its nose stuck into the Teva, and that's the way it survived. He says, for one second, don't we know that it was boiling hot water? It wasn't just that they were underwater which would be solved maybe by having a scuba diver's mask of a teva, right? But they, they, it was boiling hot water. He says, well, one second, but then how did the teva make it if it's boiling hot water? How about who we know survived the mabul, Chazal tell us survived the mabul, but he wasn't in the teva. Around the teva, the waters were cool. So there were two hangers on, Oig, that ogre, and the Re'em, and this huge animal. I gave you the information. Now, for homework, I want you to think about it. What does this mean? What is the matter trying to accomplish here by saying this? I gave you the information. For homework, you need to think about it.
Okay. Have a good day. Enjoy, enjoy breakfast, every kind of food. Omelets. Just go for it, guys. Okay. <laughs> Be well. Have a good day and a good week. Have a good day. Thank you. Yes. Do you have time for a few questions? Yes.